Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Amy, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Today is Friday, June 5th, and today we're reading in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous in the chapter More About Alcoholism, and we are on page 40, starting with a second paragraph that starts, Let Him Tell You About It. Today's readers are Marge, Lisa, Rick, Kim, Katie G, Sharon, and Hoodie. The reference number from yesterday, 4th of July, is 4746. That's 4746. The OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Oh, our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Marge to read the 12 steps, please. Marge, press star one to unmute. Marjorie, are you there? Hmm. Well, is there someone that could read the 12 steps for us, please? This is Diane. This is Katie. Katie, go ahead and read the 12 steps for us, please. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. I said I could, and now I realize I don't have them right in front of me. I'm very sorry. Okay. Well, Marjorie, are you... All right, go ahead, Diane. Good morning. This is Leah, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Number two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Step five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Step seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Step eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Step nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Step ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And step 12, 
having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thanks for filling in, Leah. I will now call on Lisa to read the 12 Traditions. Good morning, everyone. This is Lisa, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in South Jersey. The 12 Traditions. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop compulsively overeating. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the alcoholic, to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, in OA, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Lisa. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirements for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does require that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in the chapter More About Alcoholism on page 40 in the second paragraph that starts, excuse me, well, second full paragraph saying, let him tell you about it. And I'm going to ask Rick to start us out. Go for it, Rick. Good morning. My name is Rick. I'm a recovered compulsive overreader. 
and uh, just to let you know what we're doing, we got Fred telling his story to the guys in Alcoholics Anonymous after he went out. Let him tell you about it. I was much impressed with what you fellows said about alcoholism, and I frankly did not believe it would be possible for me to drink again. I rather appreciated your ideas about the subtle insanity which precedes the first drink, but I was confident it could not happen to me after what I had learned. I reasoned I was not so far advanced as most of you fellows that I had been usually successful in licking my other personal problems and that I would therefore be successful where you men failed. I felt I had every right to be self-confident that it would be only a matter of exercising my willpower and keeping on guard. Well, as I said, Fred is telling the visitors to him in the hospital what happened to him after he went out. Uh, they had they had spoken to him, and he had uh, he had quit, and they didn't hear from him for a while, and they, he ended up back in the hospital. And Fred was very confident. He was very confident that it wasn't going to happen to him. And I think it's uh, interesting. Yesterday, we uh, there was some discussion about uh, obsession of the mind. And here's Fred talking about the subtle insanity which precedes the first drink. And that is exactly what the obsession of the mind is. No matter how much we think we're away from it, how much we think we're, we're not going to pick up that bite, or in Fred's case, he wasn't going to pick up the drink. There was something going on in the back of his mind that was leading him in that direction. And that's exactly what it is. We can't, for some reason, we can't erase that thought. We can't erase the idea that this time it's going to be different, that we can have a drink. And that's exactly what the obsession is. It doesn't go away. It's always churning in the back of our mind that we could we can get away with it this time. And the purpose of this book is to give us a set of procedures which allow us to get in contact with a power greater than ourselves, get in contact with God, so that that relationship with God can take the place of that obsession of the mind. That's what we need in order to recover from compulsive overeating. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Rick. Would anyone else like to share on what was read, please? Rose. Go ahead, Rose. Thank you, Amy. Good morning. Um, My name is Rose. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in New York. And um, the sentence that speaks to me, like in really loud terms, is um, down the middle of the paragraph. I reasoned I was not so far advanced as most of you fellows. And that's that's the uh, hook I hung my hat on for all those years. Um, in addition to being totally in the dark, totally ignorant that the obsession of the mind had me around its finger, the obsession of the mind. I didn't know about the allergy of the body. Um, I probably heard it, heard of it. Um, I might not have heard of it. I certainly didn't pay attention. 
the obsession of the mind that spoke to me like a monkey chattering in my head on an ongoing, quiet, soft basis, telling me, Rose, you are in control, and especially that I was not like the rest of those people in the OA rooms. I was different. I was really different. And as far as the intellectual level went, I was above average, so I thought. And that that and all the information I had was going to do it for me. And I could handle this very well. Thank you very much. In the last sentence, I felt I had every right to be self-confident. My ego spoke it to me. It told me I had it in control, that it would only be a matter of exercising my willpower. Pardon my saying, I had gone for um, over 60 years uh, believing I would exercise my willpower, and keeping on guard is a lie that smacked me in the face in such a way, believing that if only I stayed awake and on guard, I would beat this thing, this thing called the monster, the disease, the illness of compulsive overeating. And lo and behold, um, it took what it took. And the power, as was just mentioned, wasn't able to come into me. I didn't come to believe until last year at age 65. And at that point, a teeny crack came in. Um, But uh, anyway, I identify in with this paragraph. Thank you. I'll pass. Thank you, Rose. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? This is Katie from Boston. Go ahead, Katie. Katie, then Monica. Good morning, everyone. This is Katie from Boston, Massachusetts. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater and grateful to hear this paragraph. Um, I, too, reasoned I was not so far advanced as most of you fellows. I think um, coming into a program called Overeaters Anonymous was really tough on my ego. I did not want to be an overeater. I would have rather have been some, like, sexy addiction that I, in my mind, and I'm being sarcastic. I thought it would have been a lot cooler to be a cocaine addict to whatever, and I looked around the rooms And at that point in my disease, I was skinnier. Um, I wasn't just, quote-unquote, a garden-variety compulsive overeater. I was using laxatives and Ipecac, and I was a lot more creative than all of you. So somehow I I was different, and it's this subtle insanity which precedes that first bite that, you know, and subtle means difficult to understand or distinguish. And then I went on, you know, I have a job, I have an education, you know, here I am, look at me, and yet, you know, uh, you know, any time past 4 o'clock, I was completely um, unable to to conduct myself in a way that was doing anything other than eating my brains out, and that it was only a matter of exercising my willpower and keeping on guard, 
keeping on guard was a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week activity for me um, because I was not living a God-centered life. I was in charge. I was, I was, you know, the one that could do this. And I was impressed with the message that I heard that people were doing things um, similar to me uh, in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, but I just, I couldn't surrender my ego. And so I, I was on guard all the time. And I will say, and I know I say this all the time, but I was on guard in abstinence. I got abstinent and heard a message of, you know, we don't eat no matter what, no matter what we don't eat. And I just thought, okay, so I'm going to exercise my willpower and I'm going to be on guard 24-7. And let me tell you, clenched teeth and, you know, working this program to the best of my control, you know, doing every single tool every single day and not surrendering my life, but just waiting for my stuff to appear led to more subtle insanity, which preceded the first bite because I was like, well, I'm abstinent now. Look at me. I'm in a thin body. Where's my stuff? You know, I had no relationship with God, you know, and um, and because I had no relationship with God, that led me back to the food in abstinence because I was telling myself, okay, I'm, you know, I, I can get this. I can do this all the time. And um, I'm grateful. I'm grateful in a state of abstinence that I heard this message of depth and weight, that I heard the message of working the steps and that I was desperate because I had no other option to go through these steps and get it smashed home to me that, yes, I too am a, I too am a compulsive overeater and I am suffering from a hopeless state of mind and body and must do this work in order to, um, in order to recover and that's that I pass. Thanks, Katie. Monica, go ahead and then we'll move on to the next paragraph. Go ahead, Monica. Thank you. This is Monica, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. So in this paragraph here, Fred is, is telling a little bit, he's telling his story to the uh, alcoholics who have come in to see him in the hospital. And it was pointed out to me that there are 11 eyes in this one paragraph. 11 eyes, me, myself, and I. And we're talking about the uh, mental obsession here. This whole chapter is trying to get this across to us, this, uh, this abnormal thinking we have, this subtle insanity, subtle, sly, elusive, clever, devious insanity. And that's what these eyes are. Here's a little subtle insanity going on here with every eye that he is thinking and saying. You know, again, he is comparing. He's not identifying. He's comparing. And we have to identify. And here, I, I, I just doesn't do it. We need God. And with that, I will pass. Thank you, Monica. Kim, we'll move on to the next paragraph, if you could read, please. Thanks, Amy. In this frame of mind, I went about my business, and for a time, all was well. I had no trouble refusing drinks and began to wonder if I had been making too hard work of a simple matter. One day, I went to Washington to present some accounting evidence to a government bureau. I had been out of town before during this particular dry spell, so there was nothing new about that. Physically, I felt fine. Neither did I have any pressing problems or worries. My business came off well. I was pleased and knew my partners would be too. It was the end of a perfect day, not a cloud on the horizon. 
Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And this is some important teaching. We need to listen up to this. You know, during this particular dry spell, this is an essential sentence. I had no trouble refusing drinks and began to wonder if I had not been making way too hard a deal, way too hard work of a simple matter. And this is one of the, the lies that our disease tells us. Because we have a twofold disease. We have this allergy of the body, which once we ingest certain substances, we can no longer reasonably predict how much we're going to eat. And we have this obsession of the mind that's going to bring us back to the food every time. So during this particular dry spell, so he's being abstinent only, he's having no problem refusing drinks. And I, I know I believe this, and I hear this all the time in meetings. We get out one week, two weeks, three weeks, and I hear people say, thank you, God, the obsession has been removed. That is not the obsession. When we are abstinent only for a couple weeks, for a few weeks, what we are feeling is the allergy not being triggered. In the doctor's opinion, we are taught about a craving. And in the doctor's opinion, the craving is only when we ingest the food. So if we are one week, two weeks, three weeks out of not eating our binge foods, what we are feeling is the freedom of the allergy not being triggered and our mind is telling us we're making way too big of a deal out of it. I am easily able to refuse my binge foods. That is the, that is the obsession of the mind beginning to kick in. So how often in the rooms are we hearing people, one week, two weeks, three weeks out, I don't understand, I had 21 days and I picked up. I was easily refusing the food and I picked up. That is because we are treating this disease with abstinence only. That dry spell means abstinence only. And if that is how we're going to treat this disease, treating compulsive overeating with abstinence only, is like putting a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. It is insufficient. And we are going to pick up over and over and over again. So I want to smash that idea home. But if we are feeling good after putting the binge foods down, one week, two weeks, three weeks out, that is the freedom from the allergy not being triggered. And if we do not start working these steps, if we do not start applying these pages, so that we can have this spiritual experience sufficient to bring about recovery, which will remove the obsession of the mind. We are only going to go back to the food if we are a compulsive overeater. If we are a compulsive overeater. So I'm going to read that one more time. I had no trouble refusing drinks and began to wonder if I had not been making too hard work of a simple matter. And if we believe that, and we are a compulsive overeater, and we have both parts of this disease, allergy to the body, obsession of the mind, we will continue to go back to the food over and over and over. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Um, this is Amy. I'd like to jump in. My name's Amy. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. So it's pretty wild when you look about it. We know why this story is in here. Fred's not going to make it much longer here. We're seeing a progression of this, this destructive and deadly disease, and he's headed down the wrong path. And what's leading him down the wrong path? It's his mind. 
look at where his mind is going here. You know, we've heard over and over again about this mental obsession and this subtle, subtle insanity. I mean, there's nothing subtle about this. His mind is telling him right off the bat, oh, you've got this licked, bud. This is not a problem. Now, this is why we can't fight a warped mind with a warped mind, and I can't fight my self-will, my sick mind with my sick mind, and my self-will with my will, because willpower is not the issue. My mind is warped when it comes to food and my eating. And in all other areas, I may be sane. I mean, listen to the ego. Listen to the ego that says, I got this. I am a successful businessman. I have succeeded in many areas. And it looks like I got this licked because you know what? You all have told me about this. I now understand about alcoholism, and I can certainly exercise my self-will here, shouldn't I? I've exercised it everywhere else, and it's been successful. Why shouldn't it work here? The insanity is that this is what our mind tells us. And here he is thinking that he's, quote, dry, but he's got it down. But we, as we progress through the story, we're going to see what happened. He clearly listened to what was being said to him for the people that came to the hospital and talked to him about it, but he identified out like others had shared. And then he thought, you know what? I'm better. I can do this. And this is what we deal with when we're fighting this disease and why we place ourselves beyond human aid. This is how the disease works. It tells you you don't have a disease. It tells you that this time you will be able to handle it. It tells you that, look, I've had a few weeks, a few months, even a few years we run into this in the program all the time. All the time people saying, I had it. I don't understand why I picked up. Well, the problem is we can stay stopped. I mean, we can stop. I stopped a bazillion times, but I could never stay stopped. And the reason why I couldn't stay stay stopped is because of the mental obsession. It's because my mind was warped when it comes to the food. It could not see the true from the false. When we cross over that line, whenever we get restless, irritable, and discontent, we will reach for the food. This is where we are, and this is where Fred is headed, and he doesn't even realize it. That's the craziness. When we get to the point where we don't even realize we're headed towards that first fight, and then we have no power to stop it, and we wonder why. We are placing ourselves beyond human aid with this disease. We have to have a spiritual transformation. We have to find a power greater than ourselves. And that's where the 12 steps come in. That's where working this program comes in and gives us that power to do that through God through a higher power. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to share what was read? This is Paula. May this I is Janice. Uh, Paula this is and Sharon. Janice. Okay, Paula, Janice, and then Sharon. Go ahead. Thank you. Thank you so much, Amy. This is Paula, Recovered Compulsive Arita. You know, it says clearly here, in this frame of mind, what, what frame of mind? I mean, this guy is walking along happy. He's not sad. He's not even drink- thinking. Oh, really? Not even thinking of a drink? Let's go down a little bit further. He didn't even have any pressing problems or worries. Now here, I don't even see the restless, irritable, and discontent. This guy is like happy. Everything's going around well. Physically, he said, physically, I felt fine. My business came off well. My goodness. Can you just see this guy whistling? 
Yep, everything. Look at that. Blue skies, nothing but blue skies coming my way. I was pleased. Now, look at this again. How does this disease ambush you? You didn't suspect it at all. That's what an ambush is. You're walking along fine. Then all of a sudden, it was on the end of a perfect day, not a cloud in the horizon. Why then? Why? How many times did I say why? Then on XXIX, we see, on the other hand, and strange as this may seem to those who do not understand, only here, only here, once a psychic change has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, he was, because he couldn't handle it when he, things were good, and he couldn't handle it when things were bad. Nothing. Once and only then, a psychic change has occurred. The very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems, this man had none. He despaired of ever solving them. Suddenly finds himself now here, the solution the same. No matter what life brings, the solution the same. Life is different for all of us. Suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol. The only effort necessary that required, as was just said, to follow a few simple rules. The steps. There the spiritual experience begins. Thank you for allowing me to share. And I anxiously await to hear the rest. Thank you again. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Janice, go ahead, please. Good morning. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, Vision, for you. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. You know, what good information to have, I like to say. What good information to have. You know, here we're looking at Fred and his unfolding of his story. And yes, he had a 12-step call. He had these men come to him and tell him their stories about how they had found a way out, about how they had found a solution to their drinking. But what do you suppose Fred heard? What do you suppose Fred heard? Did he hear that they enlarged their spiritual lives? Remember the story about Jim, all went well for a time? Here we have Fred, all went well for a time. But we know what happened with Jim. He failed to enlarge his spiritual life. And I'm going to bet you that those men who came and told him their stories, told Fred their stories, told him about the spiritual awakening, told him about living in a spiritual experience, experience, told him about what their solution had been. But somehow he was unable to hear that and to apply it to himself and his own problem. Because he says, I rather appreciated your ideas about the subtle insanity. So he heard something of that. He heard about that subtle insanity. And I'm sure that he heard about the allergy of the body as they told their stories. But somehow, did it apply to him? You know, that comparison, I wasn't as bad off as you guys. I was successful in my business. I had a a good family life. People liked me. All of those things that made me different from rather than the same as. 
all those important things that I needed to hear, that I was the same as you, and my solution could be the same as you. And I so agree. You know, we can put the food down. I put the food down hundreds of times. This time it's going to be different. This time I am going to follow this food plan. This time I can do it. But until I found that power greater than myself, and still until I heard where the true solution would lie, I was going to be as hopeless, as helpless, as baffled, and as damned as I had been before. So I'm very, very grateful that we are hearing a lot about his thinking, about his thinking, where he could be successful, where he was self-confident, where he could keep on guard and exercise his willpower. But hearing the real, true solution, that was the part that needed to sink in. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Sharon, go ahead, please. Press star one, Sharon. Can you hear me? I can. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Thanks. Thank you so much, and good morning to everyone on the line. Um, all the newcomers, all um, those who have been around for a while like me but didn't know how to stay stopped. So I am just so grateful to be here today and to hear these sentences and identify in so strongly today. And uh, the one was in the paragraph before where it says, I rather appreciated your ideas about the subtle insanity which precedes the first drink or the first compulsive buy, but I was confident it could not happen to me after what I had learned. And um, I too believed that was uh, to the core of my being when it came to another addiction that I had, but I did not did not believe that was the case when it came to the food. And so that subtle insanity, and it is so true, uh, whether our life is going well or whether it's going not so hot, that subtle insanity of the mind is what will get me. And when it says precedes, I looked up precedes, and it says to go before or be before. So that subtle, insane thought whether it's rooted in the pride of, oh, you know, I've been doing this for quite a while. I've been abstinent. You know, I can, I can lighten up a little bit now. I can probably handle a little bit of that or a little bit of this, even though it got me in the past. And, or I am restless, irritable, and discontent. And um, when I flip over to page 62, I have to accept to the core of my being because this is the root of the insanity of the mind selfishness and self-centeredness that we think is the root of our troubles driven by a hundred forms of fear and when I do not have faith in a higher power or someone greater than myself I live a life of fear because uh, I believe it's all up to me and then self-delusion pride I believe that I can do anything on my own self-sufficiency, self-seeking, trying to get other people to do things and see things my way, and self-pity when they don't. Then I just wallow in self-pity. Uh, I'm not appreciated. I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm seeing this so clearly because I'm going through my fourth and fifth step. And so I just can't stress strongly enough that the steps are the, that is how God with his power that is greater than any human power, 
can remove and restore and renew our minds from that subtle insanity that will get us every single time. And I just thank you so much that I am hearing these things um, through God's eyes, through a higher power's eyes today. And I am so grateful to be a part of this program, and I've been on the line since last July, so I'm so grateful. Thank you so much for your service, and I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Let's move on to the next paragraph. Katie G., could you please read? Good morning. Can you hear me? I can. Great. I went to my hotel and leisurely dressed for dinner. As I crossed the threshold of the dining room, the thought came to mind that it would be nice to have a couple of drinks with dinner. That was all. Nothing more. I ordered a cocktail and my meal. Then I ordered another cocktail. After dinner, I decided to take a walk. When I returned to the hotel, it struck me a highball would be fine before going to bed, so I stepped into the bar and had one. I remember having several more that night and plenty next morning. I have a shadowy recollection of being in an airplane bound for New York and finding and of finding a friendly taxicab driver at the landing field instead of my wife. The driver escorted me about for several days. I know little of where I went, of what I said and did. Then came the hospital with unbearable mental and physical suffering. And good morning, my name is Katie. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. So What's happening here? So my business came off well, and I was pleased and knew my partners would be too. It was the end of the perfect day. So what my sponsor smashed home to me at this point is, you know, everyone's talking about the subtle insanity. So what is the subtle insanity? Lies, right? The lies I'm telling myself. So here, you know, um, the lie that he's got his stuff, you know, he was pleased, the, the job was good, and that that stuff, people, at people, places, and things outside of ourselves going in my way, that's going to be my solution, right? Like as long as things outside the world are going to be okay, as long as I can smash everything to get it to be okay according to the world of Katie Gia, then I'm going to be okay. But the interesting thing is nothing's wrong, and he still ate. What's up with that? So I've been taught, obviously, that the squiggly writing is really important, and I've also been taught that I can never drink or eat on the truth. So we've got this lie, this first lie, that the stuff is curing him, and he's fine. He has no problem. And then the squiggly writing. The thought came to mind that it would be nice to have a couple cocktails with drink with dinner. That was all, nothing more. I never ate on the truth. I never picked up the food and said, wow, this piece of whatever is going to lead me to drink a bottle of Ipecac and throw up in downtown western Massachusetts because I need to get rid of the food so badly that I've consumed. You know, it's not going to tell me, okay, this food is going to lead me to the point where I can't show up to work because my feet are too swollen to stand on because I've been eating all night. You know, I never could eat on the truth, and that is what is the truth of this disease. And so that subtle insanity that, as our fellows have been so clearly articulating, like we're building, we're building, everything's about I, he's in this great frame of mind, the stuff is curing him, and boom, there's that lie, right? And so then immediately what happens? We've got this allergy of the body. You know, he um, has this first drink, 
and then he's off and running. A highball is going to be fine. And he's rationalizing and trusting his thinking, the thinking that's filled with lies. And then a shadowy recollection of being in an airplane bound for New York and just going on a bender, right? And how many benders did I go on that I then, you know, and that I really had no idea of what I was doing, of where I was going, of who was involved, no clue. Um, and then came the hospital with unbearable mental and physical suffering, right? So that you wake up and you're like, oh, my gosh, what happened? Oh, my gosh, what did I do? How did it happen again? Woe is me, self-pity, self-hatred, you know, because eating was a step up from that thinking. But then, you know, how badly did I hate myself and how badly did I try and understand, okay, I'm going to do it differently now. I'm going to, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps, but I am totally powerless. You know, and that for me, my sponsor, when I was at this point in the reading with her, it was getting, getting it smashed home. I cannot do it. Those 11 eyes need to be banished. And I'm so grateful um, to have had that, to have had to, to, to proceed, to have proceeded forward, to move forward with the steps, because unless I had it, smashed home to me that I am completely powerless. I didn't want to go through the rest of the steps, and that was the point here. And I'm uh, grateful to be on the line this morning. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you so much. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. A lot to learn here with Fred's story. Um. You know, for one thing, Fred still has his family. He's still happily married. He still has a good job. He's what we would call a high-bottom drinker. Uh, Jim was a low-bottom, meaning he had lost his position in business. He was working for a business that he used to own. Uh, his family was in dire straits. Um, but it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter uh, whether Jim lost everything, and it doesn't matter that Fred has everything, so to speak, Uh you know, they both have an allergy of the body, obsession of the mind. That's what makes an alcoholic. So it doesn't matter, uh, you know, how far into the progression of the disease you might be in compulsive overeating. You know, maybe maybe you didn't uh, have this disease rear its head at a young age. Maybe you didn't end up uh, bowing over the porcelain toilet bowl, uh, purging your guts out like I did. But, uh, you know, do you have an allergy of the body? Do you have an obsession of the mind? And it goes here to say, you know, I went to my hotel and leisurely dressed for dinner. As I crossed the threshold of the dining room, the thought, the thought, all action is born in thought. The thought came to mind that it would be nice to have a couple of cocktails with dinner. That was all, nothing more. Um, you know, it doesn't read... Uh, you know, it would be nice to have a couple of cocktails and go back to the hospital, <laughs> but that's exactly what happened to Fred here. I think it's a great place to talk about, uh, you know, OA has a tradition of talking about a threefold illness. Overeaters Anonymous has a tradition about talking about a threefold illness, physical, emotional, and spiritual. But emotional is not a word that the big book uses to describe our problem. Um, you know, it covers a lot of what we do, nervousness, anger, worry, depression, et cetera, and, the, you know, all the like of that. Those are all emotions, certainly. But ultimately, there are simple mental problems that we have. We have a mental click. 
Fred is having a marvelous day. It was the end of a perfect day, not a cloud on the horizon. This is not emotional. This is a mental problem. This is a, a click that's occurring in his mind that turns off his straight thinking and gets him into thinking about something trivial. trivial. Like it would be nice to have a couple of cocktails with dinner. So when we talk about emotional in a lot of OA rooms, we really miss the, the true issue. The issue is a mental problem. It is a problem in our thinking, our thinking, a mental issue. It's a mental problem, allergy of the body, obsession of the mind, mental, not emotional. And, you know, if you can't drink safely like Fred because of his allergy to alcohol, um, but he can't quit drinking for good because of his mind, he is powerless. That's what it comes down to. He is powerless over this situation, powerless. Allergy of the body, obsession of the mind. And our problem is that we have this mind that tells us to go back to eat those binge foods, those substances, even though we've been away from them. Even though we've been away from them, just like Fred. He's been away from alcohol. He's dry right now. He's sober. But his problem is that he has a mind that tells him to go back to pick up that first drink, that first cocktail, even though he's been away from it. And that's the mental obsession. And what the steps do are take away the mental obsession and substitute for that mental obsession a spiritual awakening. And that obsession of the mind is driven, driven out, and we no longer have that mental obsession that says to us, you can have it now. Go pick that drink back up. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to share on what we've Hi, this read? Is oh. uh, this is who? Hoodie? Sippy, I'm sorry. Oh, yes. Okay, go ahead, please. Me, Sippy? Yes, go ahead, Sippy. Okay, hi. Good morning. Thank you for your service. Thank you, everyone on the line. Um, for me, it was a process. I put the food down. But I really never got step one. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. I had white abs, uh, you know, I had white knuckling abstinence, and I lost my weight. And then I had to read this backwards. I didn't get this until my life became unmanageable. That's when I realized I was powerless. After all those slips, I, I didn't know what was going on in my mind because I didn't understand my thinking. And before I knew it, I just, you know, subconsciously with my uh, thumb and pointer finger, the food was in my mouth before I could even think about it. I didn't understand this part of the disease, even though it was mentioned until I came on a vision for you and and really was taught where this disease can take you. It doesn't even take me during the day. I've woken up with dreams about taking a first bite and luckily praising God when my eyes were open that I never did. And um, until I realized that I'm finished and until I give over every minute of the day to my higher power until I got to that point I, I I just couldn't get it and for me step one really it came a little backwards for me because until I had those relapses and saw there's something wrong I looked like I was 
I was recovered from this disease, but in my mind, I really wasn't. So thank you all for teaching me, and have a great day. Thank you. Thank you, Sissy. Anyone else would like to share on what was read, please? Press star one to unmute. This is Katie. Go ahead, Katie. Good morning. This is Katie F. in Virginia, recovered compulsive overeater. Um, you know, this all these uh, paragraphs are showing that he's uh, he's trying to control his environment, and that as long as everything around him is going well, then he thinks that everything's going to be fine. And as Leah was saying, you know, we we they talk in um, OA about it being emotional and. You know, I've been absent for a long time, and I am still emotional. I I can't control my uh, being human, and um, that is not what got me abstinent. Being you know able to handle um, every emotional thing that comes my way, I still um, have to surrender on a daily basis to the fact that I am powerless over you know a lot of things, including food. Um, but, you know, the insanity is thinking that food is going to make me feel better and that food is not going to win. Um, you know, thank you, God, today, if I had a thought like that, you know, I'm away right now, not in the comfort of my own home, um, no longer at a hotel like I was yesterday, but sitting at my parents' house where we're selling their house, you know, their they're downsizing, and, you know, there's a lot of emotions going on. And so, you know, it would be simple to just eat what everyone else is eating. Wouldn't that make me feel better? Wouldn't, you know, can't I just let up a little? But, you know, when that thought crosses my mind, my higher power kicks in and reminds me of what would happen next. And that is what was missing in my life is I had my memory was uh, I didn't think about it. You know, as people have said, I mean, you know, Fred didn't think I'm going to have a drink and then I'm going to end up in the hospital. His mind had forgotten what was going to happen and he quite frankly didn't believe that it was going to happen. He thought that somehow his weeks or months of whatever it is of a particular dry spell had earned him the right to have a couple of drinks. And you know what? No amount of time is going to earn me the right to just eat like other people. And the good news is I don't want to, and I don't care. Food is no longer, um, you know, uh, interesting to me. It's, you know, I like to make it, but it's like it's a neutral place in my life that I could no longer make that a reality for me than I could, you know, walk on the moon. I mean, this is not something that I could create on my own. And until I believed that, I could not recover. But it's not, you know, the external circumstances and everything outside of myself that changed. It's me that changed. And everything else is still happening around me. You know, the difference is I don't cause the chaos today, but it doesn't mean that there is no chaos. And uh, with that, I'll pass. 
Thank you, Katie. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? This is Paula Manchia. Monica. I heard Paula and Monica and Janice. All right. Let's go ahead, Paula. (laughs) Oh, thank you. In good company I am. That line, the thought came to mind, like it just appeared. This is the ambush that we were talking about. It was already there. It was already there waiting to strike, and strike it did. And look at what he says. Look at the words he used, that it would be nice. Think of the word nice. What does it mean to you? It would be nice to have a couple of cocktails with dinner. Would it really? As was said before, we don't drink on the truth. We drink on a lie, but the lie originates in our own mind. Via the complexity of only a mind, that mental twist, the mental twist, they're still there. That was all. Now look at how we downplay it, too. Oh, didn't I? But I want to scoot on down to the end. Then came the hospital with the unbearable mental and physical suffering. Was it not there the first time? Was it like an easy road in the hospital the first time? Was it just so great that first time? And he even had, I mean, look at, he came out of that hospital feeling so good. Like I said, this man is whistling right along. And look at where he ends up. The beginning of picking up and those mental twists always bring you to the same place of where you end up. They're the truth. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Go ahead, Monica. Thank you, Amy. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. So, yeah, here we are in the chapter, more about alcoholism, more about the mental obsession here. They're really trying to get us to understand this and explain it to us and show it to us in black and white. And as I crossed the threshold of the dining room, the thought came to mind that it would be nice to have a couple of cocktails with dinner. That was all, nothing more. Where's his memory here? Where's his memory of the last time he picked up and what happened and landing in the hospital? Where is all these memories? This is the other aspect of the obsession of the mind. We don't have a memory. We forget. And on page 24, it tells us that we are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. So we've been hearing in the prior uh, paragraphs about all the lies that, are, that this mental obsession disease tells us. All these lies that it tells us to, you know, okay, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. You can pick up. It'll be different. And here's another aspect of this obsession of the mind is we don't remember the pain, the, the suffering, the humiliation, the depression of what happens after we do pick up that first drink. And we are powerless over this. We have no defense against these lies and this lack of memory. And that's why we need a power greater than ourselves. And we need God. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Janice, please go. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. This is Janice, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. I could not stop myself 
from starting again. I could not stop myself from starting again. You know, here is the example. Here is the example that it began with a thought. A thought came to mind. And, you know, I thought that. I thought this very thing, that somehow it was my thinking. That somehow it was my thinking that got me started again. How could I be powerless over my own thinking? I fought that idea for a very long time because I had no other solution. And when the solution was presented to me, and when this was explained to me, and when I was offered experiences by someone in whom the problem had been solved, I, and I alone, had to come to believe that this was me too, that this was me too. And what a great example this is. Everything is going fine. Everything is going fine. The world is going my way, and I still pick up. What's that about? I could, I could use constant excuses and reasons when things were bad, when I was depressed, when I was irritated, when things were not going my way, when I was filled with fear. Yeah, wouldn't that make somebody eat? You'd eat if you had my problems too. But even when things were going well, I could not stop myself from starting again. The true insanity of the disease begins in my thinking, in my thinking. But, you know, God could transform my thinking. God could relieve me of this obsession if I stayed close to him and did his work. And that was what I needed to learn, needed to come to believe, and needed to practice one day at a time. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. And on that note, we will wrap up our meeting. I'd like to thank everyone who shared, especially our readers, uh, Leah, Lisa, Rick, Kim, Katie, and Sharon. I've actually got to Sharon. (laughs) And um, I'd like to thank everyone who shared. We will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, A Vision for You. Uh, Could you please read that, Sharon? Press star one to unmute. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay. This is Sharon. Good morning, Amy. Thank you. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.